Go ahead, Kate. Maybe you'll make out with her better than I do. <laughs> Gavin Gray, that is so common. Sometimes you talk just like a Yankee. Hello and welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid and the only one to know that you're not sated until you are quaded. I am rejected NCAA compensation violation Jeb Lund and joining me as ever is your co-host and 2020's Magnolia Queen, Sarah D. Bunting. Hey y'all. Sarah, I know we've had guests before, uh, but we've not had my guest. We've not had a guest that I got to pick and I got to demand. And this time, he's the man who was Hardball Talk. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but he is the scion of a great American true crime family. But I'm, I'm very pleased to welcome Craig Calcaterra. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, for, for those who don't know, my, my great-great-grandmother murdered my great-great-grandfather with an axe in 1910 in Detroit. Um, but the good thing about that was was that my great-grandfather was already born, so I could be here today to talk about Dennis Quaid. You found the loophole. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was a quantum leap situation. We had to fix that in order to be here today. <laughs> Now, Craig, I haven't I haven't seen you. I think for like seven years, and I think the last time we were eating at a uh, uh, like a brew pub across an empty parking lot from an Amish furniture warehouse. Um, <laughs> and then right after that, I went to go see Heaven Is for Real, based on the book by Colton Burpo. <laughs> wow, it was a momentous week for you. It really was. It's pretty much two highlights of the decade right there, and it's been just seven years of downhill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was I was excited to go down a potentially fraught movie experience with you, especially because I like one of my favorite things is whenever you hold court on Field of Dreams on Twitter <laughs> and just I watch people come up to you kind of like Black Ninja style, like in in a Kung Fu movie. And I'm like, well, if you all attacked at once, maybe he would lose. But they come up and you just like knock them down. And I thought, well, <laughs> if you're willing to pursue that kind of vibe in a critical space, we needed to to have you <laughs> evaluate Quaid. While those people while those people were enjoying schmaltzy movies, I was studying the blade. And <laughs> it's just one of those situations where you just you have to know your topic in order to to properly go at it. So uh, that's that's really what happens there. But I feel like that now with you guys with with Dennis Quaid because I am but a Padawan when it comes to ripping Dennis Quaid. And, and I need to be honest, there's a reason for this. I, and I hope this doesn't get too personal. I hope this doesn't cause a problem. But I come from a Randy Quaid household. And, um, you know, so this is, this is a little bit new oh, for me. you're the one. But <laughs> we're, you know, we all, we all watch the last detail when we turn 18. And, and then most of, us, <laughs> most of us join the Navy for some reason. I didn't. But other than that. You, you've killed Jeb. I hope you're happy. <laughs> oh god don't get too self-satisfied because we you've been booked but you haven't gone through the last qualifying lightning round <laughs> oh no craig i didn't tell you about this because I, I didn't want you to to try to cram to get you know some of the almanac books but i've got i've got five quick questions here to ask you before we go all in on 1988's everybody's all american are you ready i am ready Craig, is there a clock in baseball? No. Is baseball an oblate spheroid? I'm not sure. Pass. How many downs are there in baseball? 11. <laughs> what sport does the Washington football team play? Oh, that's football. And what sport did the Denver Broncos play? Uh, well, when they had Gavin Gray, they played bad football, but now they play football. <laughs> Craig, I submit to you that this is not a baseball movie. 
<laughs> it, but it could be. It could be. It, it, it could be any sports movie. That's the thing. And, and it's one of the reasons I love it is because it's, it's just a sports movie to beat all sports movies because of Frank DeFord and everything else. But, uh, uh, you know, I was prepared to do a Dennis Quaid baseball movie, but The Rookie is so bad that uh, I'll leave that to someone else, the poor bastard. It's also seasons away. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's we'll all ways. be dead by then. I hope. Yeah, it's not really part of the, uh, the core uh, Quaid curriculum, is it? At least not the, the hit curriculum. It's definitely in the, like, maybe a little bit, maybe a few too many lines uh, in the face for playing this role, even though you're supposed to be a 40-something. But uh, based on this movie, that's a pretty good track record he already has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it has to go. That's where it has to start, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think so. Oof. <laughs> do we need to do a Denisance check-in, or are we going to spare our guest? the usual pod business well that's actually what i was about to to do craig i i mentioned that you could listen to the denisance if you so chose as kind of prep kind of like the supplemental reading before taking a college course or something like that did you pursue that that avenue of self-expansion i i regretfully did not or maybe not regretfully did not but uh i i did not i decided that i was just gonna raw dog this thing Wise choice, in my opinion. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about what actually happens in Everybody's All-American. Not nearly as much raw dogging as you would expect, but definitely some fingering in an arena. Um, it is 1956. We are in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Dennis Quaid's Gavin Gray is already an All-American two-way player for the LSU Tigers. We see him BMOCing his way on campus to visit his cousin Cake, Timothy Hutton, and ask him to squire his sweetheart, Babs, Jessica Lang, to the final game. Cake is in awe of Gavin and has a huge crush on Babs. Gavin wins the game and the title for LSU with the help of a stout gambling drunkard, Lawrence, played by John Goodman. Along the way, we see Gavin turn down a free car from Bowling Kylie, Ray Baker, and win a race against Narvel Blue, Carl Lumbly, an African-American football star who never played in college due to segregation. Gavin goes to play for the Washington football team, and Babs becomes just another player's wife, staying home while her husband beds road beef. Narvell joins the civil rights movement and becomes the owner-operator of a local chain restaurant. Cake goes through a bewildering series of hair experiments, writes a dog shit book about Jeb Stewart, no relation, and eventually beds Babs for one night. Gavin, meanwhile, retires from the Washington football team, unretires, becomes an artificial turf pitchman, and winds up working the bar owned by the car dealer he rejected in his youth. Eventually, Babs blossoms into a businesswoman. Cake gets engaged to Leslie, who seems to be aware that she is the consolation prize. Narvel winds up being Babs' boss, and Gavin eventually learns the most important lesson of all. He loved football and his wife. And we end where we began with the reassuring image of a crowd of all-white Southerners chanting and rhythmically waving torches. <laughs> <laughs> so did I miss anything important? How was it, Craig? What, uh... I, I, I think it was good. I, I think you actually even undersold something because for my money, and this, again, I don't want to get really controversial here, but I think that this is the best sports movie, the plot of which turns on a guy sleeping with his aunt that I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> And Which, you've seen them by all, the way, folks. there's there's a point in there where someone says that's your cousin. No, no, it's it's his aunt. I know it's by marriage, but it's his aunt, and it's still weird. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of that in Quaid movies. I'm thinking back to the one with uh, Sarah. Help me out, Streisand. What was oh that? yeah, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's that was not okay. Little uh, little father and son. Yeah, 
the Quaid filmic universe seems to be kind of like a hot cousin universe just in general. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. What dragged me into this whole thing was listening to you guys on Dreamscape, and that had some creepy, bad, icky stuff, too. And uh, I just, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that he's not going to the writers and the director, you know, in the middle of the shoot and saying, you know what would be good here? Um, <laughs> but maybe he is. I have no idea. You know, what's interesting, though. This is like the only one we've seen in like six months that did not have the obligatory Dennis Quaid fronting a band of some kind <laughs> scene. I'm. I'm not complaining since the band in question was <laughs> the hot nuts. What's that to love? <laughs> but, I mean, so is that a, is that a Quaid thing? He just wants to show off his chops and everything, right? So yeah, pretty much. I guess that's why I think right after this is when he did the Jerry Lee Lewis movie. So maybe he knew that was coming and decided he was going to save it for Great Balls of Fire. Oh, is is that what happened? I gu- I guess we'll find out. <laughs> I'm really dreading that one. Really dreading that one. That has hot cousin stuff too. So, oh. yeah, man, you know, you look around the table. If you don't know who the hot cousin is, it's you. It's you. <laughs> I think that's actually a tweet that I I poached. <laughs> oh well. Uh, so yeah, apart from the hot cousin stuff going on here, what are your other thoughts? I mean, as a sports movie, structurally, I mean, does this does this feel like a a strong sports movie to you? You know it. it I, strong is a is a hard word because there are so many bad sports movies. Um, I, I review baseball movies sometimes for a few places like Baseball Prospectus and stuff. And for as much as I want to love them, they're they're almost all terrible. I don't think many other sports movies are 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 very good either, just because of the formula. And I'll give this one credit at least in that instead of sticking to one formula, it kind of mashes together two formulas. It goes away from the the big game at the end one, which it has to because they they age twenty five years. Which you know, who knows? They could have everybody all all American or what? What was that movie? The uh, the best of times. They could have the best of times this one, and had them uh, replay a game like uh, Kurt Russell and Robin Williams did. So it didn't have that at least. But again, the you know the aging athlete trying to find purpose in life and all that that's been done about eight million times. I think that part of it was better in this than in a lot of other movies I've seen it. I I really started to hate this movie at the beginning, and I, I made all kinds of notes about all the stupid crap that was going on. And as the movie went on, I started making fewer notes just because even though I don't think it was well executed, they they definitely at least tried and it got better in the second half. I, I, I sort of, maybe it's because I'm old, but you know, these people at the end, it's the 25th reunion for for their graduating class from LSU or wherever they're at and I'm now 25 years away from uh my college graduation I'm I'm the same age that the gray ghost was except I can walk so maybe that resonated with me a little bit more but uh (laughs) as you get older the the failure and decrepitude part is like (laughs) oh it's Actually, this is way more thoughtful than I thought when I was like 18. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I think I was probably, what, this came out in 88? I I was, and I saw it right when it came out. I played high school football, so I cared about stuff like this. And oh, yeah. uh, and I watched it, and I didn't think it was that good then, because I think I didn't care about anything other than the football scenes. And now I don't care about anything other than the you know looming specter of death that begins to creep <laughs> upon you when you're 47 years old. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> not not that you asked me i i hated it <laughs> i didn't like it the first time i saw it and i i really hated it this time i think i called it forest gump dyke in my uh in my notes 
just felt like this extended navel or worse gazing. Um, there are some pleasures to be had. The Timothy Hutton hairstyles and like, you know, face merkins that apparently were just like thrown out of a passing car window onto his face. Sort of amusing. But like, it just seems cobbled together from other Taylor Hackford movies, which is not a compliment. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know, like, uh, Craig's point is well taken, like, especially baseball movies are usually quite terrible because there's so much imagistic cheese already on the top of baseball as it is that once you try mm-hmm. to cinematize it, it's like, oh, but like, and, and he's going home. Like, I'm not sure I get it. <laughs> Football is bad in different ways. His performance here was better than I remembered, but it's also like the script couldn't remember from one scene to the next or one era that we're seeing to the next where he is in his like realization journey of what's going to become of him. Like there's a scene Mm -hmm. 10 minutes in where he's like, enjoy it while it lasts, because once I stop scoring touchdowns, everyone will forget about me. But then Mm. sometimes he forgets that that's like that's not written for him in the script anymore and it's like well we could chalk this up to cte or this is just bad writing i i don't know it was just like really a lot of vignettes about how marriage to a former college athlete is hard like i don't (laughs) i just didn't need to see this for two hours it was not good I never read the the source material. This is a Frank DeFord book, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And Frank DeFord, I loved Frank DeFord as a writer in certain things he did, but in other things he did, he was really bad about just beating the point over the head with a sledgehammer. Um, yeah. He was not a subtle guy when he had a point he wanted to make. And I, as I watched this movie, I could tell almost, even though I, I haven't read it, I could tell what was coming from the source material and what wasn't. And that passage you mentioned that... I may be a dumb jock strapper, but I know yeah. this. I'm special just as long as I keep making touchdowns and when it's over. That's Frank DeFord talking. That's that's the the author, the, the God voice coming in and making the, the theme of the movie or the theme, theme of the story happen 10 minutes in. It's not from the character. It's not natural. And there's all kinds of points like that. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. They just completely screw, screw it up as far as a through line. Yeah, I didn't see this as a kid, so I didn't have any kind of baggage of what I would expect. And I guess, you know, I'm starting to age into the demographic because I'm not far removed from that anniversary, that reunion myself. But my notes were started out I kind of the same thing with like you, Craig. I was taking more detailed notes and I kind of came to accept the movie on its terms. But like at the beginning, I'm, I'm just going like, oh, boy, male fragility, the movie. And <laughs> This covers the two conditions of man, Eros and Sportos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like uh, the point of the transience of, of youth and physical ability is like, I mean, obviously it's been done lots of other places and I didn't mind the way that it did it, but then it did it again and again and again and again. And as it's sort of like, you know, looking at it, its iterative structure, it's sort of like one wedding and then one long funeral. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like you, you open yeah. up with like the really good thing, and then it's like, well, let's just watch this guy's life die for the next two hours. And I kind of knew where it was going because I'm already a sports fan, and so I, I, I just feels like a lot of wasted effort. And as you said, Sarah, like because it is inconsistent. Like even at the end, you're, I mean, I'm not really even sure what moral lesson we take here. Does he love his wife and what made him the luckiest guy alive, or 
Is he going to turn back to the screen and look reverently at that? Or is it both? And if it was both, you kind of underline that badly. Like he wasn't, he grew to not really any realization, but like better encapsulation of what was already valuable to him, I guess. Like he just acknowledged it. I don't know. Which we've already had a scene of him doing that during one of Babs's pregnancies. Like, I don't know. And then the end scene is like, is this going to turn into um, Jackson Maine lurching up on the stage at the end of the, A Star Is Born and peeing on himself? Like, where <laughs> I forgot where that was going. I'm I'm glad that's not where, but it just seemed like uh, we're just going to see this over and over again with different like middle-aged prosthetics and different hairstyles and different you know that pubic beard prank from jackass on (laughs) is on (laughs) timothy hutton's face occasionally timothy hutton wouldn't be on screen and then when he came back i'd be like shouldn't this be peter mcnichol because this is just stingo from sophie's choice which i think some (laughs) review i read explicitly called it out like i don't Uh, Like, I just don't exactly know what we're doing here. Some of the performances are good, but there's so much in it that's unexamined. And then it it really wants full extra credit for understanding how white the story is and yet doing nothing about it. Like poor Carl Lumley. Every time he showed up on screen, he just was cutting his eyes at the camera like again with this so (laughs) the the best scene and i and by best i mean the absolute worst scene was the the lunch counter protest scene um because you know timothy hutton he he's out there watching it right cake is watching this happen and he does jack shit and 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 then later on he's like wow i was just out there and i did jack shit and then they didn't they did not examine it again they didn't go back to it again the whole point was yeah i watched a civil rights you know an episode in the great civil rights struggle happen i did nothing and then i reflected on it not a bit for the rest of my life and i'm like why is that scene in there and and what purpose does it serve and it has nothing to do with cake it has nothing to do with anybody but we're in there just i think this is the let's show people that that cake is more educated or something or he he touched on the world in ways that gavin didn't that's me being way too charitable to these people but there was all kinds of stuff like that in there these these sort of signposts of times and events and 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 not just on the big stuff on the little stuff Uh, the, the the exposition in this movie was so bad in so many ways and not just in the normal sports movie no. bad exposition which the, the cliche sports bad exposition is the pa announcer at the stadium giving key <laughs> exposition and they did it here you know it's like yeah. like 25 minutes into the movie ladies and gentlemen now they've completed an undefeated season next stop the sugar bowl and they're gonna play a national championship i mean the, the, the pa announcer doesn't say stuff like that at a real sporting event but they do that and then you know every five scenes it's or every five minutes there's there's babs is saying something like i can't believe who they just elected president i can't believe that i'm 29 now i can't believe that my fourth kid is on the way it's just like this constant <laughs> we need to make sure you know time is passing it's so well, she's pinning a calendar to the wall like okay and then they just skip like 20 years I it's like a bojack a... episode when when they're like can you believe it's 2012 you know except they're doing it you know non-ironically <laughs> i actually have a clip where first of all you can definitely tell that this is some deford writing because he's trying to like go for big abstractions but put them into like it via dialogue which does not work 
his concept of the interiority of a woman-identified character is, I mean, I'm not from the South and I'm not from the 50s, but I'm not sure where Frank DeFord thinks this is. Anyway, this clip is a little long, but uh, it does manage to fit pretty much everything that we've been complaining about in a two-hour-plus movie into uh, a minute and 11 seconds. I love it, Ghost Man. I'd do anything for him. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Yes, I would. Just look at that, Kate. I mean, in the movies and things, the handsome football heroes always surrounded by girls. But in real life, boys just won't let the girls get near them. Yeah, I guess they just want to replay the game. Kate. Hmm? If you'd rather be with Gavin, I can understand. Oh, no. I mean, I'd rather talk to you. <laughs> what do you want to talk about, Kay? Um, well, what's your major? <laughs> okay. You don't really want to know what my major is, do you? <laughs> Gavin and me. I'm majoring in Gavin and me. Is that an honors thesis situation? <laughs> or, I, I mean, I. Sh- it's I'm the MRS even... program. <laughs> yeah, that's what I I wrote that down actually during the scene. <laughs> like, we got it. I, I'm not going to bag on the accents too much, but I would like to note that I was quite proud of myself earlier. I could not figure out what her, what Jessica Lang's weird, like not exactly Southern pronunciation of the name Gavin reminded me of. And I finally, I was like tying up my bootlaces this morning and I was like, oh, it's Ann Dowd saying Calvin in The Leftovers. I, I don't understand why that's supposed to be from Louisiana, but I, like here we are again, back in faux Louisiana, Epcot, Louisiana. Anyway. Well, this is New Orleans, dog. The big easy down here. Dancing's a weird life. Come on. This, I mean, it's just really an exhausting sit that has opportunities to say and explore things and doesn't really do it and can't decide who its protagonist is exactly either and he's not going to talk about gavin's drinking problem at, i don't know the, no, no I, I agree with you on the whole protagonist thing for the first half of the movie gavin's kind of not really a character he's <laughs> just sort of there and it's you know babs and cakes movie to some extent but mostly babs movie and and then we're supposed to care way more about gavin in the second half i'm like neither of you guys earned that so um yeah the point of view switched a lot which was weird and i i read a little bit of background about this and i know that um jessica lang and, and hackford just did not get along at all um during the making of this movie and she talked crap about him for years after this and part of me wants to think it's because she couldn't nail the accent that he wanted her to get and then part of it is me thinking that she was mad that the movie was hers and then wasn't and then who knows but it was just a mess from that point of view mainly i think it's just the source material but the most interesting movie that you could make out of this would be one that never loses her perspective and they just i you know i get the sense that nobody would have had the courage to make that but like just having gavin kind of come in and out in snapshot and watching her 
evolve from an adjunct person to essentially his savior functionally like day to day would have been more interesting but oh well we made the switch to him yeah <laughs> and if this movie had made 250 million dollars we could have then had the lawrence standalone movie which would have been a, a trip i think that john lawrence Goodman. origins yeah, yeah the lord lawrence <laughs> it's like he's like six years old he's like hey lawrence bet you can't swing across the creek oh yeah how much <laughs> There was a, there was a lot of id going on with John Goodman, and it, I, you get the sense that he knew that there wasn't enough on the script in the script there to 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 sketch out his character. So he's like, "Well, I'm just going to go to eleven then and, and make it work." And t- to be honest, it wasn't bad. I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't unwatchable bad. I, he was fine. I was interested by the lengths the script went to to try to say that he was killed by gangsters without using the word gangster, the word mobster, the word mafia, like guys, <laughs> like we, we know how gambling debts work. It's like, they're trying to send a message. Oh, Oh, no kidding. <laughs> it's just very strange writing. Well, contemporary reviews on this movie were not super enthusiastic. I think they saw the same mixed bag that we did. Um, most of the praise goes to Jessica Lang. But I only pulled two review clips here because they were really the only ones of of any substance. The first one is uh, from our buddy, Janet Maslin, who is more (laughs) positive about the movie. She writes, Miss Lang gives such a stellar performance and also such a technically adroit one that she emerges in an entirely new light. At the beginning of the film, projecting a breathless sexual receptiveness that recalls Marilyn Monroe's, she resembles something made of spun sugar. Later on, as disappointment sets in, she becomes less of a confection and more of a touchingly authentic character, clearly able to turn that erotic magnetism off and on at will. Miss Lang weathers Babs' many changes glamorously and without apparent effort. Mr. Quaid is equally good as a man who's fearful of any change at all. He too makes a quantum leap here, establishing himself for the first time as an actor of real weight and mutability. Gavin's pain and disbelief so eloquently rendered by Mr. Quaid takes on genuinely tragic overtones as the film progresses. It sounds like she had the experience Taylor Hackford very much wanted her to have. Yeah. I disagree. I don't, um, yeah. More in line with, with my view, and I think everybody else's here, is, is Ebert's review, uh, where he says, Everybody's All-American follows these characters through 25 years with the single-mindedness of a John O'Hara. The ghost's crew cut never changes, but Babs faithfully reflects every passing fashion of clothing and hairstyles. Donnie, the cousin, has a different haircut every time he turns up in the movie, while his beards and mustaches come and go with bewildering variety. (laughs) By the end of the film, we not only feel we know these people, we feel we know them too well and would like to make some new friends. (laughs) Yeah. See, I trust Ebert a little bit more, partially because another part of Maslin's review that I saw that just jumped out at me was uh, when she's talking about John Goodman. And she says... uh, Meanwhile, Gavin's beefy, big-hearted crony Lawrence shows traces of the racism and corruption that reflect outmoded Southern attitudes at their most self-destructive. And I thought, traces? Traces? (laughs) Every other word of his dialogue starts with N. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Traces. He's literally murdered over gambling debts, and he has traces of the corruption that reflect... Oh, my God. What movie was she watching? (laughs) Wow. Uh, Ebert does go on to just basically say like, you know, this is, uh, he has one line here in the review that I I wanted to quote. And he says, uh, John Cheever took a few pages once to write a story about an aging athlete who used to get drunk at parties, line up the furniture and hurdle it. Everybody's all American tells the same story at such length that by the end, even the characters seem to be tiring of their personalities. And, uh, yeah, I, um, 
I hunted up that story and we'll link to it in the show notes. It was in the New Yorker in like 1953 or something like that. I mean, once you've read One Cheever, you've kind of read them all. But if you're interested, it will be in the show notes. Uh, so are we ready to rate this movie? Does anybody want to do that? Uh, I'll, I'll go first if you don't mind. Oh, not at all. Be our Okay. Guest. And, and before I do, I have two, just because I'm like the designated sports guy here, I have, I have two big issues that didn't come up before that I want to mention. Okay. One, if people care about this, and sports fans tend to care about this stuff in sports movies, there's a huge continuity problem in the file footage they use to show him on the Broncos because they show Craig Morton as the quarterback for the uh, for the Denver Broncos and he wasn't the starter for for the Broncos until 1977 and there was no way that Gavin Gray was still playing in 1977 uh-huh. he would have been like 40 something mm-hmm. so i think you know that was just convenient footage and it was uh, by the way the guy was Rob Little the former Michigan running back who played for the Broncos for a few years was the ghost in those uh, file footages but who cares oh, anyway um, i care and then the <laughs> other thing yeah there we go the, the the other thing is uh i i happen to live in Columbus Ohio and i am a an Ohio state uh, alumni and there is nothing north of the Mason-Dixon line that even comes close to Southern football culture than Ohio State. It is very much a, a football town, even though it's a huge, huge city. And in some ways, I think maybe they're making up for all the, the bad things that happened to Gavin Gray post-football career. Because if you play football at Ohio State now and any time in the last 30 or 40 years, you basically are a god for the rest of your life if you stay in this area. Not in just the superficial way that Gavin Gray was a god in, in Louisiana, but like you don't have to work, you don't have to do anything. There is none of this self-doubting. Everybody is allowed to stay in their 23-year-old self and uh, basically make six figures for the rest of their lives if they even played a few downs at Ohio State. So that didn't ring true very much for me, but maybe it was back then. Anyway, on my rating, I'd give this like a three out of 10. Good moments, a few good acting performances, some good production design that I liked other than, as Jeb mentioned, the the basically looking clan rally pep rallies that they had. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, not, not a very good movie. Sarah? Uh, yeah, two. I found it actively unpleasant a lot of the time, but it doesn't even sink to the level of bad in that way that you can be sort of like amused by a fiasco currently on fire in front of you. It just is, maybe that's unfair, but it was just like, it was exhausting to me. And uh, so, yeah, too. I thought the the bones of it were still, I mean, you could have put better meat on it, but they weren't necessarily like you know orthopedically unsound i don't know i i I think i settled on a four because it's not replacement level i mean every good thing gets a little more taken out of it away from the plot than than is put in yeah but i don't know you know like uh, enough of maybe i'm just spoiled from seeing like a lot of bad tv movies but uh the overall production of everything else john goodman gets you know just seeing him makes me happier i don't know like no, this I get, isn't a I very good it. capsule review on my part. I'm so sorry. Well, there's this um, there's this moment where Babs goes to ask Blue for a job, and they're exchanging like the characters are exchanging this look that's like you know I, I understand your that they each understand the other one's struggles, but at the same time the actors are kind of exchanging this look that's like why don't we just have a movie. because i mean like i understand that this is a dennis quaid podcast but it's like once you start making this movie it's like i you know i know it's hackford but the the real core of the movie is their relationship because that's the only thing we haven't seen a million times well that brings us to quaid qua quaid the amount of quaidosity in this film and uh how 
quadulently it was delivered. I don't know. Uh, Craig, you haven't done this before, so really any answer is fine. Uh, how did you feel about uh, about our pal Dennis in this? Well, I am nowhere near as steeped in quaintness as you two are, so I, I have to kind of go on my, my memory of Quaid, which he was a big deal when I was a kid, so my memory of Quaid is sort of the smirking... Uh, mm -hmm. A little too handsome for the role he was given, but also not very charming. Um, and you know, in, 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 in that weird, wow. it, it's spoken it's the, like a Randy we, truther. Mm. <laughs> we we could we couldn't get Harrison Ford, but yeah. we'll make do. Yeah, there's um, a lot. But in, in, with that in mind, with that being my my sort of impression of, of Dennis Quaid, um, he didn't lean into that nearly as much as I, I expected he would have. Uh, he he was trying his damnedest to actually act a role here. I don't think he did a good job, mostly because he didn't have a lot of good material to work with. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't find it particularly Quaidy as as I understand that term. I, I I give the guy credit. You could almost see the steam coming out of his ears when he's trying to act hard. <laughs> um, and, and I give him credit for for trying. But uh, he didn't strike me as the kind of like uh, inner space DOA big easy kind of uh, yeah. Dennis Quaid. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you. What's your uh, what's your number? Oh, we'll we'll call this only like a two on the the on the oh, Quaidness wow. scale or whatever okay. you guys call it. Am I next, Jeb, or do you want to? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Stick me with the hosting duty. You get to go first. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You're so common doing this in front of company. Um, I'm going to say a four. Everything that Craig has just described is basically what we talk about every week. Like there's not a whole lot of opportunity, weirdly, even in the early going for that classic wolfish, roguish quaintiness to come forth. And then there's the matter of his acting, which it, yep, like you can definitely hear the gears grinding, but it's not working that's not his fault because the writing of him is all over the place there's a bunch of time jumps and whatever romana quaid is supposed to be occurring does not <laughs> occur so i mean it's not his fault but it's still a four it's weird that in a sports movie he's this relatively unquady but it's still just a four for me and i didn't love his chemistry with jessica lang Honestly, felt kind of off. Not to be cheap about it, but I'd, I'd written down a three. So I'm directly between the two of you for pretty much the same reasons uh, you guys enumerated. The parts where if you had to pick one word that revealed a flaw in this movie, it would be Dennis Quaid saying common <laughs> or, or Gavin saying common. And like you said, that early part is where that swagger of being the big man on campus, being God in a college town could come through and not be offensive to the character and also play to the charisma and the the idea of you know Jessica Lang being sort of besotted by this guy for her entire life uh and they didn't do it and then instead to have him walk out on what seems to be like in any other Quaid movie like by the time that guy finishes the sentence Dennis Quaid is already two blocks away in the convertible uh -huh. when, when he's like I'd like to give you a car um and just yeah that common is just like no <laughs> wrong so yeah three yeah I actually have a clip. This is, I think, some of his best acting. This is where um, Newman from Seinfeld has just accosted him in the in the John. 
Uh, I don't think this is an insight this character would have had at this age, but this is kind of like, it's his best acting. It happens in the first 11 minutes, and it kind of hints at all the opportunities that this script and movie as a whole missed. So here is a clip. Imagine that getting all upset just because you're pissing next to somebody. You know, it's because you're special. I mean, people treat me special just because I'm, I'm kin to you. Oh, hell, Cake. If it gets you laid, use it. Well, it lasts. I might be a dumb jockstrapper, but I do know this. I'm special just as long as I keep making touchdowns. When that's over, it's over. So check for picker tracks, son. Come on, let's get out of here, huh? <laughs> check for pecker tracks. <laughs> Wayne Knight, by the way, Newman from Seinfeld, was actually credited in this movie as quote fraternity pisser. That was his. <laughs> uh-huh. That was his role in this movie. On the same credits card as Aaron Neville, man with gun. <laughs> right. You know, all the the big easy cameos wound up accidentally directed to this movie. There's also a Jeb Quaid in here as one of the kids when he was young. So I don't know. <laughs> we're we're no through relation. the looking glass here, people. It was very uncomfortable to see that. I was like, no, I don't like that. I don't like those two together. No. <laughs> Next time on Quaid in Full, Great Balls of Fire. In the meantime, put down that fawning monograph about a slaveocracy and check out the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod and get even more Quaidy content on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Place a dangerous bet on your future and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. And while you're at it, head on over to cupofcoffee.substack.com to follow Craig's newsletter or just check him out on Twitter at Craig Calcaterra. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time. History, Lawrence. We're on the wrong side of history. History, my ass. <laughs>